John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 060.SS0203, certificate number 36692. Johnny Appleseed. Well, sir, every time I see an apple blossom sky, I think of Johnny Appleseed. Because, of course, them clouds up there, they ain't really clouds at all. No, sir. Why, shucks, there wouldn't be no apple blossom sky if it weren't for the fact that Johnny... Now hold on here. Guess I better start back to the beginning. I don't even know about juveniles in the far future, but do kids today even get all the time in elementary school we had to spend on tall tales and American folk heroes? <laughs> do you remember how like a half of elementary school is tall tales, a genre that really doesn't exist? You know, my daughter has almost, she has never referred to a person with a pumpkin for a head. <laughs> and... That's it. Feels like I spent half half of a, a second grade thinking about. It's, it's so important to know that Pecos Bill could lariat a tornado, <laughs> but Paul Bunyan could uh, butter up a griddle with uh, butter the size of a mattress or yeah, something. How are you gonna How are you gonna dig that that tunnel across the Rockies to build the train? <laughs> yeah, it's right? almost like a kind of creationism where they're like, and that was the Grand Canyon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just intelligent design, but it's a giant lumberjack is our god. Well, it's like Kipling. Just so stories, except taken yes. out of the Raj and turned into this American sort of dam builder. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a tradition going back ages of these kind of bigger than life, you know, Rabelais's Gargancho and Pantagruel. And so you you want to have that Wait, on I'm the front. What did you say? Rabelais, Bumberdick, Cumberbatch? I thought you wouldn't. I thought you wouldn't call me on it. No, Rabelais's Gargancho and Pantagruel is a satire about these, you know, big lusty giants doing big lusty giant mm. things. Mm. And I guess Greek mythology is the same way and that's yeah. how we got the island of Rhodes or right, whatever right that's how the, the all those stories end <laughs> the same way and that's where the Straits of Mackinac come from <laughs> oh, good I was wondering <laughs> how the elephant got its spots but uh, you know there's only one of these folk heroes do you have a favorite by the way your favorite American folk hero oh wow um, you know Babe the Blue Ox. <laughs> you like the sidekicks. Was, was always, uh, have you, you've driven down through Oregon and seen uh, Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox, the, the giant statues. Of them, yes. Right? And if people, uh, you know, if, if these survive in the upper Midwest. I'm sure it'll be uh, the only thing that survives. Well, I mean, every tiny like Dakota and Minnesota town has these two, I think. Right. Yeah. And, the, and w- or so the Cone brothers have led me to believe. We should do an omnibus on. All the uh, weird Paul Bunyan statues. Yeah, right. Okay. We'll save it. Um, 
But yeah, let's see. What what were what were my favorite? I mean, the headless horseman did scare the uh, the Dickens out of me. I think um, there there are so many. Uh, the, I, who's the guy that sat under the tree and woke up fifty years later? Yeah, Rip Van Winkle. Rip Van Winkle. Well, that's another Washington Irving. You're just yeah. a, you're just an Irving head. Well, that's the thing. I do like Washington Irving. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I, li- I kind of like John Henry, mm-hmm. not just because he's African American, although it does make me seem super woke that sure. I like John Henry better than you the, always did better than the white kid. ones. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> sure. You could just sense there's something authentic about him, uh, but because he like he he beat a machine, you know, like in our yeah. in our age of growing automation and you know good American kids getting their butts kicked on Jeopardy by computers and whatnot. You got to admire John Henry just going to his grave, trying to humiliate a, a, a steam drill that's a, a little newer than him. Well, and, and um, the fact that these American foundation legends, a lot of them are 19th century. So they feel just, they feel a lot closer than the headless horseman could be something from. Yeah. It could be Dutch or yeah, whatever. From 1400. Yeah. But, but John Henry I think we should do Paul Bunyan and get to the fact that some of these are surprisingly recent. Like some of them are kind of like slick magazine inventions. Right. Well, like, it's just like Santa Claus or just like our, our Santa. Yeah, exactly. Our Santa Claus yeah. evolved from Santa Claus. Very, very 20th century. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you go to the state of Washington website, there is only one American folk hero who gets his own page. On the state of Washington website? Even though he died, you know, decades before Washington was a state. And that's Johnny Appleseed. Now, Johnny Appleseed was a real person, whereas Paul Bunyan was not. Right. Uh, apparently, a lot of these have real life antecedents. Like Casey Jones, I think, is based on a real train guy, although there's some discussion as to who. And I, I've heard that about John Henry as well. Like hmm. these stories really started with one of these three guys named John. Uh, yeah. Maybe this is all people writing dissertations after the fact and they're getting it wrong. But Johnny Appleseed is very much somebody that. In his time, contemporaries would have thought of as a as a fun legendary folk hero if, if they ran across him. Was there a Dinah? Oh, someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. Uh, yeah, was there a real Dinah? Was there a was there a Susanna? The wow, movie, these, yeah, like I, in I th- song, right? I think some of those folk songs are as as a um, they're as ingrained in me as anything. I could sing those songs. Like you could you could hand me a banjo right now, and I'd I'd be able to play them today. There's interviews and you'll you'll hear the band being like yeah sharona actually was a real sharona and i think that's true she now sells real estate in um Reseda, california or something and the plain white tees the plain white you can't beat it and then the plain white tees had there was a real delilah and she was annoyed when they wrote the song so like if if the present is any guide or, yeah. or when I say the present, I mean the early 1980s when the knack, <laughs> when the knack recorded my Sharona. I mean, my song Nora is really about a girl named Ellen. You changed the name. Yeah, because Ellen, Ellen doesn't have, you know, a song that oh. ends, a, a name that ends with a, with a, uh, with a vowel, oh. right? Like Susanna. I thought you were just being Dinah. protective of her privacy, but you're just nagging her name. Ellen. It's like, Ellen. It's just, it's too whiny. <laughs> Nora, that that gives you that gives you something to purchase. You on. should write a song called Ellen, but it's about it's about the the daytime talk show hmm. that you love. Yeah, you never miss Ellen. You can write another one called The People's Court. <laughs> Wapner. <laughs> but uh, so so did Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> like for for future apple trees listening to the program, sentient apple trees who are uh, who you know to 
To, to this whom? guy's your god. This guy is, is your like they have <laughs> scripture probably about this robed guy wandering. First around. there was one apple tree, and then then low Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> but uh, but Washington celebrates him because just because we're an apple producing yes. state, or did he actually come here or come from here? No, like Johnny Appleseed did spread. Uh, Apple trees all I over. You were going to say syphilis. He did spread syphilis. <laughs> no, actually, he was uh, he was very chaste. We will oh, see. Oh, good. Oh, good. Right, isn't that a relief to you? Whew! Thank goodness. He was that, only spreading one well, kind of seed. We don't have to cancel Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> uh, imagine just going, showing up at some town. There's all these little kids with like tin pots on their head, like a whole generation. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, he did spread apple trees throughout the the Northwest, but it was the Northwest of the time. Which is Indiana. Yeah, Ohio, <laughs> Ohio, Pennsylvania, right. Western Pennsylvania. Right. He, that's the frontier, the frontier. In, in the, because he's very early. Uh, interestingly, Johnny Appleseed's, we don't know a lot. His early history is very sketchy. Uh, John Chapman, the man mm-hmm. who would be Johnny Appleseed. But one thing that the, the church records do make clear is that his mother did die in July 1776. Oh, so she probably got to enjoy America for like a week. She got there though. She, she got over the line. Maybe. What if it's July third? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> well, she was still probably laying in state on somebody's coffee table. That's true. But she was also probably ailing of whooping cough for most of the the yeah. week that America existed, and maybe word wouldn't even have got to uh, to you know Wilkes Bar or wherever she was living. So was Johnny contemporaries with uh, Daniel Boone, or was Daniel Boone even later? Daniel Boone's only a little later. They, pro- they, I think they would have overlapped by a few decades. That's, yeah. that's my sense in my head without looking it up. And, Out crossing their paths. And, and now the, the, that's the only thing the future knows about Daniel Boone. So Right. He, was, he may have met Johnny Appleseed. Johnny Appleseed never went as far south as the Cumberland Gap. Like there are uh, fruit trees in what is today Ontario. I mean, there, you know, there are, there are regions of what is now Ontario that were Johnny Appleseed nurseries. He was kind of in from, right. from West Virginia north. He was a Yankee. Yeah, it before almost before that was a distinction, but yeah, he never went south of kind of western West Virginia. But you're right, Illinois, Indiana, uh, southern Ontario. There, uh, what, what do you? What's your impression of him from just kind of vague twentieth century out there in the ether, Johnny Appleseed mythos? Let's see. <clears throat> the way he's portrayed to me in 1970s elementary school yeah. was that he was part of the the great. Um, fruition of america we taming the yeah we we cleared the forests the great hardwood forests of the upper midwest which will never ever come back (laughs) which were probably a sight to behold that's not Not, true 100 years (laughs) after the event whatever it is beautiful hardwood forests will be back like in times square so (laughs) my you know my mom grew up in ohio and she she talks about the last vestiges of those great hardwood forests that were just i think then still in small pockets that were being cleared. But she, you know, she talks about them with this sort of reverent awe. Um, but then he was coming along and, and seeding the new empire, yeah. right? With ap- apples were a way, th- were a cheap source of, of food and money. And they, and everyone loves an apple. I mean, you hear the Johnny Appleseed story along and it's always presented with a picture of a kid kind of, Biting into a juicy red delicious mm. before apples all became like wax. That's that's the Washington bombs. State website is, is like, don't you love a biting into a, a great apple? Well, well, so did Johnny Appleseed. Um, to to kind of get an, a 20th century idea of the Johnny Appleseed myth, I watched the 1948 Disney 
uh, cartoon of Johnny Appleseed. Oh, it was a cartoon. Yeah, it was a segment of one of these movies they did right after the war. They didn't have the budget to do like kind of a lush uh, uh, Snow White kind of a thing. So they did these kind of mini Fantasias where a bunch of little musical shorts oh. would be placed together and narrated by, you know, Bing Crosby or something. I'm sure like I've that. seen it. I just, it's a, it all jumbles together. Disney loved that kind of, like they did a Paul Bunyan. They did a, yeah. I think later they did a John Henry uh, later. <laughs> Once you could have black people in, in movies. Uh, they did, uh, I think there's a Pecos Bill. I'm picturing Johnny Appleseed as a gangly kind of storky Bob yes. Cratchity kind. I- I- Ichabod uh, Crane. So is that how they d- depict him? Yeah, he's he's a, in the Disney version. It's very much foregrounded that he's a nerd. Oh, he yeah. sees all the wagon. He lives in Pittsburgh town. He's a he's a nurseryman, which I think was true. He had some training in orchardry. Or is that a word? Orchardry. Sure. Uh, working, singing, carefree, and gay. That's how Johnny spent all his day says the narrator. It's mm-hmm. one of these things with a lot of whistling. Uh-huh. Uh, he's just ju- jumping around, clicking his heels together. Yeah. He's actually like climbing up branches and he slides down the branch in such a way that all the apples come off and go boop, 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 and land in, his wheel- land in his wheelbarrow. You know, I picked apples in Yakima uh, one season. Is it not like that? In <laughs> is it not carefree and gay? No. What, <clears throat> what I discovered was that picking apples is a skill. This is one of those, um, this is one of those, uh, instances where I got a, some real insight into migrant farm labor yeah, yeah. because I was out in the field and I, and my coworkers and friends were all migrant laborers who came through, picked a orchard and then moved on to the next orchard. And then when apple season was done, they moved on somewhere else where there was more harvesting to do. But you were just a dilettante. Is there always was, some local white guy finding himself? Yeah. And they're, and they're like, Oh, Dios mio. I, I was 17 and needed a job. Yeah. And you know, it was like, Hey, mister, can I have a job? And he was like, yeah, you get paid by the bushel. Go <laughs> knock yourself out. And there was a sign in sheet where you, at, at the start of the day, you would write your name and then, uh, your address and social security number or something like that. And the five guys ahead of me on the list all had written the same social security number. (laughs) But then we got out into the orchard and I would, you know, I'd put my ladder down and I'd climb up and I'd reach out and pick an apple and I'd look over and the guy on the tree next to me had filled a bushel (laughs) and was climbing down his box. And I was like, hey, wow. And they're laughing at me and just like uh, really enjoying like what an incompetent I was. I didn't fill a box in the the course of a whole day. I got paid $5. Ken. What do you do uh, about uh, Caitlin and Dylan on the internet? Do you just let them have unfettered access to the web? When they were littler, that was not a problem. It was cute that they were on Club Penguin or Webkins all the time. Right. And now I literally spend 90% of my waking hours thinking, what are my children getting up to online? And you've talked about trying to, to limit uh, their their access, and then you find that Dylan's got a some burner phone under his bed, and he's in there... This literally happened. Like with both my kids, I've had issues where we thought we had smart rules about screens and devices and nature finds a way, (laughs) you know, like, do you have policies for your daughter? Well, no, because I'm still in that stage where her interest in the internet is just like, can we watch Lady and the Tramp again? (laughs) And I'm like, no, it's problematic. Those were the days. So I have often wondered, like, how how do you solve this? Like, you know, it's, there should, you should be able to enforce whatever your family philosophy or household rules are around screens and devices and i've wished that there was a way to do it well there is a way and what? it's uh <laughs> and it's called circle uh circle is basically a way to manage your family's online time across all their connected devices inside 
and outside your home. Yeah, I've been trying this out. They sent, they sent me a Circle Home Plus, a little Circle app, and it really does all the things I was looking for. You know, filtering who can go to what sites, like enforcing time limits on when it's okay to be surfing and when it's not. Like, right. which things do you not want your kids signing up for? You know, you can have a profile for each person on there. It's customizable, and it's it's every uh, device on your network. So my son's little burner phone workaround from season four of The Wire would not work anymore. Yeah. So he could not outwit the circle home plus so the only thing he can do now is go out to the parking lot of a of a supermarket with his friends and look at their phones yes i mean yeah. you, you know there's there's always going to be things to worry about with your kids but like with circle there's one less thing to worry about well right now our listeners which is to say the futurelings get 30 dollars off of a circle home plus when you visit meetcircle.com slash omnibus and enter the code omnibus at checkout. If this is an issue in your home as it is in ours, in your era as it is in mine, I encourage you to check this out. Again, that's $30 off when you visit meetcircle.com slash omnibus and enter omnibus at checkout. Meetcircle.com slash omnibus. Enter omnibus to save $30. In the Disney version, Johnny sees the wagon trains heading west, you know, west being again Western Pennsylvania or whatever. Right. Right. The, well, the untamed. If he's from Pittsburgh town, he's in Western Pennsylvania. So right. they're, they're headed out to Ohio. It could be. Yeah. They, they, uh, and, uh, and he's jealous of their, uh, their obvious kind of strength and fortitude. Sure. He, swinging axes. He's kind of, yeah. Like they're kind of rough he-man and he's, he's a, like you say, a gangling Ichabod crane type. What, what do I have to offer? And he, he's very, in the cartoon, he's very religious. He's, um. He's uh, singing a song about the sun and the rain and the apple seed and how, how God has blessed his apples. And in the <clears throat> in the cartoon at the time, is his religion portrayed as a uh, as a virtue or is it portrayed as a thing that that increases his nerdliness? No, it's absolutely unquestioned virtue. I mean, maybe he's a little squeaky clean. He's he literally leaves Pittsburgh town holding nothing but a, a Bible and a bag of apple seed. And a tin pot on his head. See, that's the great thing about about culture, American culture from the fifties that we watched in the seventies, which was that this guy's was, got a Bible. He's yeah, awesome. It was super unquestioning about like, well, Christianity at least. Everything else is going to hell. But uh, the funny thing is, like the even in the seventeen eighties or whenever this would have, I guess seven later, seventeen nineties, eighteen hundred, the uh, the reality would have been a, a lot more complicated. Um, Johnny Appleseed did carry a Bible. John Chapman did carry a Bible. But not because he was some just kind of vaguely religious, benevolent guy. He was a proselytizer, devout proselytizing Swedenborgian. (laughs) Whoa. So the apples were just a cover story? (laughs) No. I mean, that was his day job. Oh, I see. Um, What is a Swedenborgian? Do you know uh, the work of 18th century (laughs) uh, Swedish mystic? Emmanuel Swedenborg? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed at this gap in my knowledge. I kind of tend to, I, I had to look it up. He, I kind of lumped it in with theosophy and all these kind of later quasi-occult things. Yeah. And it turned out later there was quite a bit of overlap. But he was just a Lutheran mystic who started having visions where he would go to heaven and go to hell and like go to Jupiter and Saturn and, and chat with everybody there. I've had all those visions. <laughs> yeah. I didn't start a religion. But he was, Wait a minute, maybe I did. But he was living in Uppsala or something, oh, so he right. did not have the chemical AIDS that, that you might have had. Like he, he he's he's coming by this honestly. I don't <clears throat> I don't think of Lutheranism as being a religion that has a lot of they mystical traditions. mystics. And this leads to some conflict because Swedenborg's ideas were very odd by the kind of strict Scandinavian standards of his upbringing. Like he goes to hell and um, 
there's not a lot of torment. There's people just doing the same kind of debauchery they were doing here. Hmm. And so obviously that's a, that sounds pretty good, <laughs> well, right? Uh, what's the, where's the catch? So a lot of crit- uh, critiques of Swedenborg are, are trying to, you know, dissuade converts from joining because it, it was not unlike Adventism or the Mormon movement or, you know, these kind of new branches of, of, uh, of Christianity that are popping up and scaring the Protestants. Right. They have a, they have some, some, uh, they used to have a monopoly and yeah. Now, now there are some uh, other alternatives that, yeah, are appealing, right? And often led by more recent charismatic figures: your Mary Baker Eddy, your right. Joseph Smith, your Emmanuel Swedenborg. And it's true that to, to, to this day, Swedenborgians kind of revere him as some kind of prophet, prophetic, revelatory wait, wait, figure. Wait, 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 there are still Swedenborgians. Yeah, it, 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 it was called the New Church oh. uh, because in their in their mind, this is one of the weirder and to Protestantize more heretical things about them is that the Last Judgment has already happened. Oh? There have been a few. Huh? Like the last judgment comes in, um, I don't know, like in, in stages. It's like a, you know, like a. Oh, I see. It's like I don't know. It's a like a Cascading. sports playoff or something. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> right. like the Great Flood. That was the final judgment for those guys. Oh, it's a Final Four situation. Now here we are. <laughs> right. It's like it's your era has its own thing, and in and in Swedenborg's mind, the final the final judgment had happened in 1757. Well, and what happened in 1757? The that, final judgment. I see. I see. But was there <laughs> nothing a... outwardly? Oh, his his mystical visions have told him that 1757 was the last judgment, and now there's a, a new new dawn for Christianity that needs a leader like him. So it was just an administrative <laughs> last judgment. <laughs> yeah, Some, it's more like fiscal year. <laughs> somebody stamped a piece of paper and put it in a file, and it was like, well, it's done. Yeah, the great flood happens, and God is given a sheet of accounting, and the books balance, and he's like, all right, here we go. It's fiscal judgment three. Wow. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm I'm more and more convinced by this. By are this you converted? Lutheran mystic. We well, didn't even need Johnny well, Appleseed. There's a here. lot more. To, there's a lot more I need to know. So, so, so Protestants, you know, Protestant. One weird trick. Protestants hate him. Right. Uh, you know, he, they would have a. Uh, the differences would seem very small to anyone who's not super religious. You know, he, he thinks that uh, you have to do good things to save your soul. And to, to a Lutheran, it would be that's like... That's bad. No, 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 that's no, no. not Lutheranism. That's very Catholic. That's the whole reason Lutheranism came around. Right. And uh, and his version of the Trinity apparently uh, splits hairs in a wrong way. Like, instead of thinking that God is a triune, th- you know, three-in-one thing, that the, 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 the God's Son and Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are actually just divine manifestations of, of the same one thing. Right. And to you and I, that might sound the same. Yeah. But if you're, if you're a sufficiently doctrinarian Protestant, right. you would recognize Swedenborg's heresy as modalism. Right. One, one, a real bugaboo for you. No, no, no. I don't, I don't follow that whole modalist trip. <laughs> I, those modalists have nothing to say to me. <laughs> and the fact that people were having fun in hell, of course, was a problem because... They they referred that as as a uh, Mahomedan, like uh, oh. it, it was too Muslim. Oh, you, you know, get too many wives in hell. Yeah, like like uh, you know to have to have versions of heaven and hell that are just like Earth, but like the good are still being good and the bad are still being bad. That's you know Christianity is very vague about the afterlife, and we like it like that. Yeah, well, it's vague about how it's, it's vague about how the good receive their reward in heaven. 
It's pretty specific about how the bad receive their reward. Even hell, hell is kind of the same few tropes. If you if you actually read the Bible, like you know, we looked at that Hieronymus Bosch painting in a different entry, and it was right. very baroque and complicated. But that was but, all his imagination. Yeah, like the Bible is just like there's a lake and it's on fire, and people are supposedly you're going to be like, ooh, wow, well, I don't want to be in the place that has the lake that's on fire. I like lakes that aren't on fire. Uh, is it is it Ohio in the seventies? Is that hell? It's <laughs> Cleveland. Anyway, so John Chapman would actually. You know, we picture him scattering his seed by the side of the road, but really he's showing up in town giving sermons and, you know, getting up on a stump and waving his Swedenborgian flyers around and handing out literature. And do you get an apple tree if you listen to his, <laughs> if you listen to his sermon? The apple trees were to pay the rent. So, he, you know, uh, he, again, he's not just scattering seed by the roadside like in the popular imagination. He would actually, he was, a sm- he was smarter than that. He would actually create fenced-in nurseries where he would uh, plant the apple seed that he had brought from back East. And, uh, you know, although he was in the Disney movie, he's surrounded by woodland creatures because he's a forties Disney character. Right. Like the squirrels all love him and the skunks don't spray on him and right. the birds, little bluebirds tweet around his head. <laughs> Brer rabbit is there. <laughs> uh, and the, in the, in the movie, like it's, it's really pointed out that he's some early eco guy, the first to come without a knife, without a gun, this all rhymes, of course. Right, nice. This being Disney in the 40s. Uh, and in real life, that's true. That he, You know, the uh, Swedenborgian belief does say that all life is sacred. So it's not just he's a pacifist. He's actually, he wouldn't clear an acre? He was vegetarian. Uh, I know that. I think he was, I think he was against, I mean, the... You know, other other settlers, of course, were clearing the land. So there was plenty of places sure, where he could sure. say, hey, buddy, want to... <clears throat> he can be the Lorax and sit on a stump <laughs> and not have the, the sap on his hands. But, but there's lots of stories like this about, you know, um, fr- from contemporaries, so they might have some weight, about him seeing mosquitoes buzzing around his campfire and getting fried, like by, you know, a turn-of-the-century bug zapper, basically. Uh, right. And he feels so bad about this, he douses his campfire. And goes oh, to sleep cold. He's a, he's God. like a, a Janist of the uh, frontier. I see people like this on Twitter all the time. <laughs> you feel like he's no a, thanks. Is he an SJW <laughs> social no. a social Johnny uh, Wanderer? <laughs> so, but but these stories may be uh, may be true. And the thing that he would not do because of his Swedenborgian beliefs about the sacredness of life is he would not graft an apple tree. Oh, because that would be some kind of. Frankensteinian thing that would require the death of a branch, you know, or the death of the tree he took the branch from, I guess. Whoa. It never occurred to me that within the, within the nurserymen, nursery person, nursery persons, that, um, that there would be like varying ethics about grafting, which seemed like it was a, like grafting, was an incredible technology, an ancient one. It, it that, was, yeah, it was the that makes good fruit trees rather than everybody just eating pie cherries. From what I understand, this is actually what made Johnny Appleseed unusual. Is that he was uh, because he did not, you know, he did not believe in grafting. Grafting is the way you get a fruit tree to keep producing good fruit. Because I guess you cannot just throw a golden delicious apple seed in the ground no, it and get golden delicious. It apples. Doesn't grow true. It comes back as as some. It's like the ur dog. It always ends up being a medium-sized, golden, long-eared uh, coyote. And I assume that's what it is, right? It's, a, it's little, little tiny mutations that actually separate a good apple from a bad one, and you can't count on the next litter of, of, your, of, your, uh, of your mutt puppies all having the cute 
golden retriever ears or whatever. Right. You it, have to slice off the ears it re- they, and put them on a new dog. They return to their to their native uh, sourness, and just the, like just like me. Yeah, and the and the as we'll see, we'll come back to this. But you know, people on the Mayflower had been bringing uh, grafted branches. You know, as far back as the Puritans had brought grafted apple trees from Europe. Apples, I think, originally first uh, domesticated in Kazakhstan. And then got really? su- su- yeah, isn't that well, weird? That's kind of cool. And then got sweeter and better as they moved across Europe through, you know, the Greeks and the Romans and the kind of Central Asian traffic that started to happen. But he would not do it. He would. Uh, he would not. He would not do it because it was rush. an abomination before God. <laughs> that's that's right. the incredible thing. <laughs> that's that's dedication, you know. Uh, and at the end of the Disney movie, they talk about how he had a hundred thousand square miles uh, of of apple trees. And that actually is more or less the extent of his reach. You know, obviously that's not a one huge apple orchard the size of, I mean, what, 100,000 square miles. That's huge. That's got to be a, a U.S. state. But uh, but he, th- that was the range that he traveled over his long life, you know, and, and he was, I think like we see in the stories, just an itinerant figure that would show up with a tin pot on his head. He would use his cooking pot as a hat for to keep the rain out of his eyes. And he would wear kind of burlap coffee sacks, essentially the jute <clears throat> underwear of his of his day. A pot on the head is not as comfortable as it sounds. I don't even think it sounds comfortable. That's right. <laughs> it's less comfortable than that. It doesn't have any kind of eye, eye shade or anything. Big, big handle. Put the handle out front. But, but it's, <laughs> you know, a pot is circular and your head is oval shaped. That's exactly right. Yeah. Do you think he had a weird oval shaped pot the size of his head, like the way the way people of that time would have death masks made? Maybe he had a Charlie Brown head, although that would look really weird on an Ichabod Crane body. Exactly. Maybe he had a pumpkin for a head, like uh, like the other Washington Irving <laughs> characters of the time. Uh, the thing we don't say about Johnny Appleseed is that he was actually, despite the, the, uh, the idea I may have given to you of him as kind of a vow of poverty kind of guy, is he was a very canny traveler the the laws at the time said that if you plant 50 trees that's a homestead whoa he's gaming the homestead act he is working the system so he will very cleverly fence off a nursery plant 50 apple trees and that's now his orchard and he can sell it to some local guy and then leave with the money at the time of his death he he was a land baron he Mm. still owned 1200 acres that he had not turned over uh boom so he was flipping houses basically but uh you know apple tree version come on what a savvy guy you know you forget that a lot of the uh a lot of the great sort of protestant uh the 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 pious protestants of of northeastern america were also super capitalists right the puritans were all very business oriented and this seems like a like a like a little sneaky, but also like really savvy. I assume they brought it with them, you know, because part of the uh, they're from that part of England, right, the southeast, where the... <laughs> I wasn't going to be racist about it, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> they, well, you know, the English had 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 uh, that was, was that the merchant area. Yeah, there was there? this mercantile class that yeah. had evolved up, and they were from that particular area that uh, where where Puritan strains of religion got a toehold. So yeah, I think that's. That's pretty documented. I mean, I know a lot of the early settlers came for sincere religious reasons. You know, they were dissenters. No of, one doubts They it. were dissenters of some kind that did not think the king was going to be cool with that. But in some part of their mind, they must have also been, oh, and it's a wide frontier where, frontier where land is free and the Spaniards say there's gold. And, you know, there must have been some level of uh, my family can get ahead. It's not just uh, I'm willing to sacrifice it all so I can 
you know, pray in poverty to my very devout minimalist God. I imagine that if you're a member of an ascendant mercantile class, you're maybe some of the first people that it, that ever, it ever occurred to them that there was social mobility. Yeah. Like my life could be better than my parents. Like they had this little thatched cottage, but wait, if I go to Massachusetts Bay colony, there's, I can there's, make money and there's, yeah, there's timber as far as the eye can see. Right. And, and the streets are paved with salmon or whatever. My people of course, immediately were like, there's gotta be a, one of us has to be the governor. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll do it. That should, that should be me. Did you come from a Welsh political <laughs> class? <laughs> no, the Welsh uh, side of my family got here a lot later. Oh. But I have I have on do both have my Mayflower mom and people? father's side, yeah, people that were here in 1640. And you come from the 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 um, type A alpha males among them, who were, uh, well, who were like, I feel like I should run this colony. When you think about unfor- it, unfortunately, they were uh, both both mom and dad's. 1640 ancestors are all in Virginia colony. So I don't have any Puritan. I don't have any of that good American Yankee. You have you know, like, tobacco grown slave owners? I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. The, just the, just the worst, but, uh, but you know, the best, the but best is, of the worst. But is that where you got your, is that, do you feel like your family's kind of, uh, uh, you know, politicking, yeah, uh, yeah. walk into a room and know who to talk to kind of, it a all vibe. came from that. It came from, uh, it came from Virginia and then th- either through Kentucky or through Ohio. I was just having dinner on Friday with a friend of mine who met you at a Christmas party or something at our place and said, oh, uh, yeah, that John guy. Like he had actually looked up some of your music online and had- It's a common experience of meeting me. You go home and Immediate conversion. I just need to spend all night just finding more about this guy. He's a Roderickian now. (laughs) He believes the final judgment (laughs) happened the day before he saw your Elliot Smith cover on YouTube. (laughs) Well, what did he come up with in his research? Uh, Well, he he said, uh, you know, I just like that guy. It just seems like, uh, you know, he he just has that vibe where, you know, he's just always going to like- uh, you know, walk into a room and feel confident talking to somebody. And, uh, you know, like that was his first impression of you. And now I know it comes from your slaveholding ancestors. Give you an apple tree and, uh, and then also end up planting 50 trees in your neighborhood. Did you enslave all the guests at my Christmas party and make them pick tobacco? Uh, It's a different, it's a, it's the new slavery. It's, it's mind slavery. Social slavery. (laughs) When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. I feel like of all the misconceptions I have debunked about Johnny Appleseed for the future, who now has a more unclouded view of John Chapman, uh, the biggest one is the one that, you know, you and your teachers and Walt Disney were foregrounding, which is like how important it was to have, 
you know, delicious apples on the on the frontier. You yeah. know, there's a whole song in the Disney version about all the recipes you can make with apples. Well, and, and cider, as of course. If it's a, well, that's the that's the rub right there. <laughs> the Disney version really downplays the cider. I bet it does. And it's all about how it's kind of like um when Forrest Gump's friend is like Creole shrimp, shrimp. Uh, yeah, like butterfly shrimp. Shrimp. Like it's like that, but they're doing it with, you know, the narrator's like apple pickles, oh. apple tarts, apple dumplings. I can name apple every kind fritters. of nut. Like the, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> apple nut. <laughs> Beetle nut. So the, the narrator is really sold on this idea that um, all the pioneers would have died if they hadn't just had jars and jars full of apple butter right. and apple pickles. Th- Although, things a- that may or may not exist. Apple pickles? I'm not even sure. Apple's Apples do keep in the root cellar for a while. That's it is a fruit you can eat all winter. Yeah, uh, you know the, the the recipes will fill your hat. That's what our folks in Disney oh. narrator says, <laughs> or, or tin oh. pot, I guess. But in reality, Johnny Appleseed's apples were not delicious, edible apples. They're crab apples. They're awful apples because he's he's using seed. Right. He's They're- not using delicious grafted trees from his from his you know Wilkes Bar nurseries. He's just oh, he's just throwing seeds by the side of the road. This is great. So all the trees are just growing what they would have called spitters at right, the time. Right. I, I assume because you take a bite and you're like, that apple sucks. I'm not making delicious dumplings out of this. But those are great cider apples. They are cider apples. This was the most profitable use of apples. Ah. Right up until Prohibition, almost every apple grown in America. I mean, the vast majority of apples grown in America did not turn into a, a, a lunchtime snack or a delicious pie they so, they went into to drink so johnny appleseed was basically the weed dealer <laughs> of the early 19th century that's exactly right do you think he had a pet iguana in his uh, in I, his tin pot <laughs> i swear to you he made you sit and watch faces of death with him on vhs uh he literally uh was delivering to the people what they wanted which right. was hard Cider. Right. Um, back then when wa- you, you, we've talked about this before in cultures where water is not super potable, you need a mildly beer. alcoholic drink and it's beer or cider. Right. I think to this day, judging by my experience at major league baseball games <laughs> in most States, beer and cider are regulated the same way. They're kind of yeah. the, the, the slightly less alcoholic, but socially acceptable thing that, a, that a guy with a thing around his neck can just toss you. Cider is in that weird space between beer and wine where it, uh, it depends on kind of where you are. In some in some situations, it feels slightly more sophisticated than beer, and in some situations, it feels even less sophisticated than. What's beer. What's the proof situation? Is it about as alcohol? Is it a very mild? I think you can make it. You can you can vary the proof, but yeah, I think I think it it functions as a again right between beer and wine. You can make really hard cider that is like moonshine. In rural America, in the very early eighteen hundreds, uh, it was water, but it was also it was also beer. It was, you know, the thing that guys would drink. But it was coffee. It was it was wine. It was, you know, every social situation you would have your cider, applejack, or apple sass, or or whatever they called it. And that was true until prohibition. Uh, and so what? Yeah. So Johnny Appleseed was uh, supplying the West with cheap alcohol, despite his kind of prim religious beliefs. And you can see why Disney does not really foreground this in their version. Well, what's <clears throat> what's hilarious is that, as you absolutely have to expect, right now there's an incredible resurgence in the craft brew culture. Does this include craft cider? Of cider, mm-hmm. uh, of craft cider, and specifically, there are 
a lot of varieties of cider apple that have been lost to time because these aren't um, these aren't varieties that are that are intentionally cultivated anymore. I wonder if it's a uh, effective prohibition. You know, all the places in rural America where these kinds of cider apples used to be big business are you know suddenly you got to plant something else. That's a that's a, a great example or a great suggestion. But also, I think that it's just part of the industrialization. Where if you get if you get one cider apple that if you're making cider and you find one that grows well, why uh, do you need ten others? It's the same reason why tomatoes taste like nothing now. So there's a whole subculture of people who drive around out in the sticks, looking for old homesteads and burned down farms that are covered over with vines, and they go bushwhacking back in there and find these old cider apple trees that were planted in the 1800s. I love this. This is, this is like the boysenberry entry. And they take cuttings of them. And then, and there's this whole market now of, um, of like lost to time cider apple varietals that I think are varieties that are all Johnny Appleseed adjacent. I have a friend, I have a friend who's decided that his ticket out of working as a, as a, uh, sommelier, in in some in a wine bar where he where he feels like he's 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 put on his white shirt and black apron one too many times, he's 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 driving around Washington now looking for cider apples to make his own uh, his own label of of like super vintage weird cider. And I'm like, how many of how many like kegs of cider do you need to make to b- make more money than as a sommelier? I think it's a lot. I think it's more than it's not more than a truck. It's not fall. a basement operation, right? Well, I don't think, but he, but I but he's in it in the same way that craft brewing people are in it. Where at least right now, he's just trying to make enough hobby. for himself and his friends. But it's really it's really about finding the apple varieties for him. That's the that's the the the, the mystery, tr- the treasure hunt part. Yeah. It's it's uh it's like you know twenty or thirty years ago, this would have been college students wanting to go through your attic, hoping they'll find like. Uh, like wax cylinders of blind lemon Jefferson or uh-huh. something. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except now the guys have longer beards than you. The, the, the city <laughs> folks now have longer beards than you. That's right. <laughs> you're out there. Uh, you, you, you've got your stand up from your satellite TV and come answer the door. And <laughs> there's right. a guy there in a straw hat you, with a donkey. <laughs> you're the one with a Trump baseball cap <laughs> and a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> uh, the, the, you know, when you mention these Latter-day trees, there is uh, at least one, tree left that um, by all accounts is a Johnny Appleseed tree. It's in Nova, Ohio, not too far from like Akron in Northern Ohio. Wait, there's only one tree that can, that its provenance can be traced back to Johnny Appleseed. That's what the story is. And I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical because, it's you know, you, millions you, of trees. It's a whole story. Right. But it was like 170 odd years ago or more, oh, I guess oh, more, I see, well I more. And, so this one just happened to be planted above an aquifer. And so it has like a better water supply than all his other trees. And it was never cleared through his, and maybe this is, you know, the local postcard and curiosity shop industry propping this up. Did George Washington sleep under it? (laughs) Johnny Appleseed slept here. But in, in, uh, in local lore, you can still go to Nova, Ohio and see Johnny Appleseed's last tree. And it's very gnarled, but I think it still gives fruit. Uh, but that is not his only legacy. Uh, I was reading Michael Pollan on this kind of a 
beloved food author of our pa- time. Palin? Michael Palin? Yeah. Oh, but, you know, for Monty Python. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's a different guy. Michael Pollen. Michael Pollen. And I guess he's, in this case, he's talking about fruit propagation. So Pollen P- is a perfect name. A-N. Okay. Do you have an allergy to him? We were so close. I do. I'm allergic to this whole topic. He is probably our foremost food writer. You don't know this guy. Michael Pollen. No. Okay. He, you know, he wrote about Johnny Appleseed in one of his more botanical books. And his take is that Johnny Appleseed kind of created the modern age of apples because even though, you know, everybody else from Europe was trying to graft on these varietals that had done great in Devonshire or whatever, or, you know. You say that with such contempt. I don't know, Provence. I'm just trying to think of a a very (laughs) random European place that might have orchards. Yeah. Uh, And, but when they brought them to the new world with its whatever, tougher, harder climb, mm-hmm. uh, these varieties all did terribly. So America was doing a lousy job at producing delicious European apples. Oh. And so grafting was not working. So by creating, you know, just on the basis of his weird theological <laughs> convictions, uh, Johnny Appleseed used seeds instead. And uh, because of that, he, his fruit did not remain consistent. You know, he would plant his seeds and if he threw 10 seeds, he would get 10 different kinds of apples. And over time, as those apples propagated, you started to see the rise of varietals that were delicious and would survive America. So these, his apples adapted to the new world in a way that none of these old world nursery men and women were able to do. So by accident of religion, you know, the, the great gift that Swedenborg's visions of heaven and hell gave us, I guess, was America started to get its own decent apples. And that includes the golden delicious and, you know, all these kind of uh, 20th century apples that are out of style now that we can have honey crisps and Fuji's, but, but it says right in Leviticus, <laughs> the people shall not sow their feed or sh- shall not sow their fields with mingled seed. It says right there. It's uh, like, so we can all agree that Johnny Appleseed is in hell. But it's not such a bad hell. But as as Swedenborg told us, <laughs> he's having a good time. And that concludes Johnny Appleseed, entry 060.SS0203, certificate number 36692 in the omnibus. Futurelings in the, I'd say, fairly likely event that you are some kind of flowering fruit tree that has become political. Plant, be- plant life will survive us for sure, right? They always show ruined cities with, with moss growing all over the Statue sure. of Liberty. And, you know, I think partly it is that plants don't get their feelings hurt. That's, the, that's what's going to kill us. I think that One I, mean tweet. I think, that, I think that humans have revealed that oversensitivity will be the thing that, that kill us, right? I mean, if you think about it's the one thing that we all share now. Does that mean that all our vegetable listeners uh, do not have social media? Or does that mean they they thrive on it in a way we could not because they they just take the mean tweets and spit them right back out? Well, no, when you think about it, um, the research that shows that if you, if you cut a tree, that other trees in the forest um, sense the, the death of the tree and mourn true? it. Well, that seems like an episode of the Omnibus in the making. Trees that say ouch. But um, but maybe plants all have an even more sophisticated social media apparatus where their roots are all intermingled. Sure. 
They're all, and they're the ones that are from seed. They're the ones that are grafted. They're the ones that are invasive. It's just like our world. As you know, in the spring when all the flowers bloom, it's nothing. The roots are saying nothing but feeling cute right now. Might delete <laughs> later. It's just a month of that. And later on, it's just everybody's. Uh, every, there are just a bunch of boomer tweets at the end when they're like, <laughs> "Oh, my fruit is all gone. I'm just a gnarled stump." Well, uh, imagining you, Futurelings, is one of our favorite things to do, and uh, we would like to encourage you to imagine us in greater detail by actually- Imagine me and you. I do. I think about us every night. Imagine us, uh, imagine going to our social media feeds and seeing the hilarious things that Ken tweets and see me basically fending off hordes of angry listeners. Imagine there's no Facebook. It isn't hard to do. Hmm. No, no hell no, or heaven, no, or at least once there. No vine below us. <laughs> uh, uh, he's at Ken Jennings. I'm at John Roderick on everything. Uh, you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Ken will read your letter. If it mentions me by name, he may show it to me. It really has to. I mean, it, not if it's like, but I hate John. Right. No, no, no. Don't. It'll don't be more like, us. I went to John's junior high in Alaska. <laughs> go, go Chugach junior high uh, harpooners or whatever. That I will send to you. Chugach. I don't know. I don't know. The thing is that if you send show ideas to uh, the Omnibus Project at gmail.com. Ken just grabs those ideas and uses them as if he thought them up himself. That is not true. Whereas I, every week, have to come up with my own ideas, which I, which is very. I have a scrupulously kept list on my phone, which yes. I, which we'll, we'll share. We'll, I'll put it into a Google Doc so oh, you can steal you. their ideas. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, please go to our Facebook page, uh, the Omnibus uh, Futurelings. Uh, go visit our uh, Reddit crew who are over there. Even now, mad that I get their name wrong every time. Uh, it is uh, r slash futurelings and two other alternatives that have underscores. And right. I don't remember. Don't them. don't don't deal with them. They're they're, <laughs> they're, they're frauds. I'm in, I'm, in, I'm annoyed that you've endorsed <laughs> so early in the in the campaign. Well, you know, I I, I felt I felt like I needed to pick a side. Uh, please mail us things. Mail us your seed. Mm, don't at, really uh, don't. P.O. Box five five seven four four Shoreline Washington nine eight one five five. And for those interested, for those of you who appreciate the show and appreciate that it is a, uh, it's hard out there in the world. Um, you can support. Late stage capitalism is not. It's not great. <sighs> Oof. It's got it's got some issues. It's a big kick in the in the peanuts. It really is, unless. Yeah. You are in a tiny billionaire class. And if you are, please give generously. (laughs) To uh, the Omnibus Project uh, on our Patreon page, which is Patreon slash Omnibus Project. Very good. Listeners, from our vantage point here in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Perhaps there is one lone human left, like Johnny Appleseed's last tree, who sits around on his aquifer telling stories about the olden times. And, uh, you know, it was probably just playing Call of Duty or whatever. Uh, but if there's nothing else, if we are your last connection with the society that came before, uh, then we hope and pray that our, our catastrophe may never come, or at least forestalls long enough for us to complete this mammoth reference work we are compiling for you. But I like it. You're very authentic. If the worst comes soon, this very recording, uh, as we always say, may be our final word to you. But if a 
benevolent Swedenborgian god allows. Mm -hmm. We hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>